Hello and welcome to episode 275 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Cauley, as always, joined by Bryson. And Bryson, we've got another series win, back-to-back series wins for the Blue Jays after two weeks in the wilderness. Bryson, how are you? Uh, doing good, Mark. Uh, yeah, two straight series wins for this team. Definitely another series where, especially on this weird kind of three-game homestand and they're, they're back on the road. This was a series that you wanted to win uh, before you head back out the road as they go to New York uh, tonight, which would be on Thursday night. So I think that was crucial. Uh, it feels like they're starting to continue to play better. There was less mistakes, I thought, from this series in terms of just stuff that, you know, that's been uh, the obvious in terms of base running decisions. Of course, some little issues here and there, but I mean, for the most part, the offense is still trying to work their way back too. Uh, Alec Manoa remains an issue, so slowly getting better, I think. We're not quite there yet with this team uh, in terms of at their full potential, but you had to start somewhere, and they started it last year, and I'm glad they were able to carry it over in the short homestand against the uh, Brewers. Yeah, it feels like they're gaining momentum a little bit. It feels like they're picking up steam, like they're finally, after the month of May, headed downhill again because, you know, the past three and past six games, I guess, if you expand it to what they did in Minnesota against the Twins, they've looked like a much better team. Obviously, they haven't been perfect, and you mentioned it there. Like, the offense still has issues. Alec Manoa still has a lot of issues, and we're going to talk about him later in the episode. But the bullpens look good. The defense has been a lot cleaner. The base running still has room for improvement, but again, it's been a lot cleaner. And so I think we're starting to see a team that's rebounding, getting out of this slump and putting things together. And ultimately, like this is all you have to do. You just have to win two to three games against pretty good teams. Like Minnesota's a good team. Milwaukee, I know they've been slumping a little bit. They're still a good team as well. If you do this over the course of an entire season, you're good. The problem is that the Jays went on a streak where they were terrible, and now they got to make up for that play. And also, they're up in a division against some of the best teams in baseball, and that's going to cost them. But I think ultimately, like, big picture, this is what you want a team to do. The Blue Jays seem like they're picking up steam and getting better by the day. And so we'll see what happens in New York. That's, of course, a little bit away. We want to talk about this series in Milwaukee first, but Bryson, it does seem like the Blue Jays are headed for friendlier skies, at least right now. Yeah, and it was it was a matter of time, I think, because we were just through some we were through a really bad period of just I would I don't want to say everybody overreacting, but just a lot of concern and people who even weren't overreacting, even from us when we were talking about it, there was a lot of concern either way. So I'm glad that this was something where it wasn't just kind of three games and then, you know, remaining issues come back to haunt them. So that's why it's something that's going to take them a little bit. And that's just the way baseball is. It When when you're in a slump like this and even individual players and everything like that, it doesn't happen overnight. And I think, you know, for an, another example for an individ, individual player was Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who, of course, we talked about that rough patch of games he had last week. And then, of course, he comes back this week uh, to Toronto. He flies in his uncle a week early because he wanted to see him so badly in terms of fixing a swing because his uncle knows the swing better than anybody, according to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So he had a lot of multi-hit games, or at least he did um, on the Tuesday night. And then even today, there was a couple of flyouts where he, he hit the ball pretty well and he just missed out on a couple home runs. So, I mean, it feels like he's getting closer to breaking out of this slump that he's been in. Bo Bichette remains the key piece to this team offensively. Uh, it was good seeing Matt Chapman as well hit a home run for the first time in a bit today. And a lot of similarities in the games that they won is a lot of the runs that they got 
were all early. Of course, the only runs today on the Thursday game came in the first inning. And then, of course, going back to Tuesday night with Kikuchi pitching, four runs in the first, second, or two in the second, and one in the third. So they were able to get their runs early, uh, getting to the starting pitching early. Of course, you'd like to see more runs probably throughout the game a little bit more than you saw uh, throughout the series. But again, it's something that they're just chipping away at. And I think that's also very important to this team. So, I mean, I mentioned Matt Chapman. Of course, he had a big double or a big single story back in game one as well. And, you know, it's just a lot better at bats from this team too, especially the thing I really liked about how they were doing this is that they were doing this all with singles and doubles. And one of Part of the problem uh, throughout their funk that they were in last week was, of course, as much as a lot of it was on the bullpen and everything like that, most of it was about the runners in scoring position, everything like that. I mean, it's just in terms of that entire topic. And they were just cashing in runs left, right, and center to start the game off. So I, I, I think that was honestly pretty cool to watch in terms of that four-run first inning. It was just single after single after single, a couple doubles, of course. And um, it, it, a lot of runs, too, I mean, came from people that you don't usually expect and I mean a, a guy that I probably give a shout out to is Kevin Biggio I mean he also had a couple big hits uh, throughout the series as well and this is a guy who is getting a little bit more playing time than usual of course part of that was Kevin Kiermaier who was still recovering from his back issue so he was able to be in the lineup a couple times this series he had a couple hits um, and of course going back to game one a couple big hits so you like to see kind of everyone contributing as much as they can I mentioned Vladdy at the beginning he contributed as well with one of those big singles in the first inning so that was all good to watch uh, in terms of something where we're just hoping for progress and progress. And of course, one of the things that's remained the same, though, for the most part, is that the starting pitching has still been relatively really good. And I think Yusei Kikuchi, a guy who's had a rough May, he had his last he had his last start of May, of course, on Tuesday night. Not the greatest stuff from him, but I mean, in terms of walking guys, there was just a lot of base runners uh, that he allowed. But, I mean, he closed things off on a way better note, um, allowing two earned runs over five innings. So that was a good way for him to end the month of May. And I think that's something where he needs to, of course, get back to what he was doing back in April to be more of a reliable fifth starter uh, for this team and just get back to what we know, what we saw from him in April. So I think that was important. I mean, you want to talk about Kevin Gosman again today. I mean, it's just... It's not surprising uh, when this guy goes out on the mound. I mean, he was elite once again. And the other part, what I think, as much as the Jays probably don't want to do this every start, I think it was very crucial that he was able to get those extra two outs um, in the seventh inning because, of course, he was already well over 100 pitches. But, of course, from the night before with Alec Manoa, this bullpen got to work a little bit too early than I think they originally anticipated. So the fact that he was able to get an extra two outs um, was huge for this team. And, you know, going way over 100 pitches, he's done that a couple times this year. So I don't imagine they want to do that every single time he's on the mound, of course. But, I mean, his ERA drops to 276, 11 strikeouts once again. The splitter, just everything about him being elite uh, in this rotation remains the same in terms of the story with him. So I want to ask you about... Gosman and the fact that he has gone yeah. like 115 pitches now twice yeah. this season like I was sitting in the ballpark going why the hell are they keeping yeah. this guy in the game why is he I thought he was done after the sixth inning because we saw on the the video board that John Schneider went down and talked to him so I was surprised that he came back out and I I don't know like I know they needed to save the bullpen but I don't know if it makes sense to kind of regularly push him to that many pitches like I am a bit worried about his longevity this he, I know he's like been in the majors a lot he's he knows his body I'm sure he's 
capable of pitching that much, but it does like stress me out a little bit when you're watching the at bats go longer and longer and seeing the pitch count tick to 111, 112, 113. Like it makes me nervous a little bit. <laughs> and I even remember that from one of our group chats. There was a start that he had previously where you texted the same thing. So I <laughs> yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, today he, I think he was, pre- I think he was done at 100. I'm, it was around there. And then he threw an extra 15. He finished at 115. So. Again, I don't think it's them wanting to do it, but of course, it's just the other factors around. I mean, we, of course, the elephant in the room, I think that we'll talk about today is just the same problems with Alec Manoa. But of course, back to your point, is this something that they want to do every single time, especially knowing that there's not an off day until June 12th? I would assume probably not. And I think it's definitely something that they got to be careful about. I mean, we just talk about these days of how a lot, you just, you don't see that a lot from starting pitchers. So Clearly, he's fine with it, Kevin Gosman, if that's what the conversation was about. Um, I don't know how much more they're going to do it. I'm sure they're going to do it a lot more throughout the year, but I mean, I don't know how much consecutive times they can do it without kind of being a little bit more cautious about it. So it is a good point about, I guess, just the long-term concerns about that. But I mean, I guess the only other part you can say on the other side is Gosman's a veteran. He's been through this a lot. So if he feels comfortable with it, I'm sure they want him to be honest about it. Um, and I know, of course, he's going to want to keep going out there. It is something that I'm sure they're going to have to monitor at some point and just try to avoid doing it every single time. But unfortunately, I guess in things where Kevin Gosman can't control, like again, the night before where the bullpen got to work really early, they had to do it, uh, unfortunately, to try and save the bullpen as much. And of course, another factor of that is the off day not being until June 12th. So yeah, I mean, it's a valid concern. Uh, I've noticed that from you a couple times now, for sure. And I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I just, for me, it's not ideal to do it every single time he's on the mound. So it's just going to be interesting to see how many more times that they do that for sure this year. Yeah, I just think it's, I don't know. It, it Yeah, it just makes me uncomfortable watching it. Like, I think it's probably irrational. And I think it's probably like, the way baseball is played these days that just makes me nervous it's like every other team would have pulled your guy at this point or every other starter would have got pulled by this point so I don't know why we're keeping this guy in and I'm worried about health and that sort of thing but like ultimately yeah he is a veteran he knows what he's doing he's been around the block and so I'm confident that if he was feeling something or if he was worried about his arm being dead for a day after or if he was worried about how able he would be to pitch his next start I'm sure he would say something to John Schneider and P Walker and the rest of the team and he would kind of draw a line and say no I can't go past this point so yeah I guess ultimately if you think through it rationally it makes sense and you trust the Blue Jays and you trust Gosman but just kind of a visceral reaction for me is just nerves right away um one guy I want to give a little praise to um I think more in the series finale than anything else but Tyler Heineman um, we talked last episode about kind of our concerns with what the Blue Jays are going to look like behind the plate, but especially in today's game, Tyler Heineman really stepped up. He had a couple really, really good throws down to second base on attempted stolen bases, one of which was successful, one of which wasn't, but they were both perfectly on target and both there relatively close to the time that the the, the runner arrived. And then he also had, he had one hit and then one really hard hit ball that could have gone for a hit if it had been placed differently. So I just wanted to, you know, we talked a lot last episode of how concerned we were with Alejandro Kirk taking the bulk of the catching duties and what it would do to the Blue Jays, especially defensively. Um, and I think Tyler Heineman, I don't think he's totally gotten rid of those concerns because I definitely think there's still 
uh, preference that we would have for Danny Jansen behind the plate, but it makes you feel a little bit more comfortable knowing he is capable defensively and he can put the bat on the ball when he needs to. It's huge. Uh, it's huge for a third catcher like that. A lot of teams strive for that in terms of having uh, good depth like that and having a guy that as much as he's not with you every day and he spends most of the time in the minors, when something like this happens, and of course in this case with Danny Jansen, there's no hesitation or any kind of fear of calling him up. And I think there's you know a part of that is definitely being just a good veteran and uh, being good with his role with Tyler Heineman. And of course, it was mentioned on the telecast, um, I want to say in game two, about just Tyler Heineman being familiar with Kevin Gosman back in their days with San Francisco a couple years ago. So as much as it lined up perfectly, uh, of course, the day night after the night game to give Alejandro Kirk a rest, it was good that Heineman was able to go out there uh, with Kevin Gosman and just be comfortable with him. And I mean, it just, it doesn't, you know, nothing phased Gosman, of course, and Heineman was able to, um, you know, call a good game, I'm sure, for uh, throw Gosman's outing and of course we saw this with him as well the last time he started with Chris Bassett pitching so he's able to go out there with these guys and I mean it's again it's really reliable for a third catcher like that and more importantly it gives them more confidence as well to rest Alejandro Kirk when they can it doesn't you know it doesn't give them a any sort of pressure to push him and play him more than maybe they originally planned of course it's two or three straight times I think with Kirk catching and then that's when they're going to give Heinemann the game so I mean, uh, or of course, a day night after a night game like you saw throughout this series. So, I mean, that's something to to watch going forward, of course. And it's something to uh, just, I guess, monitor in terms of Heinemann coming in and out of the lineup. But him doing that and, you know, playing good behind the plate. And of course, I think he had a hit today as well. I mean, it just gives them more confidence to be able to just stay put with that plan. Because, of course, there's been multiple times where, and I even think we saw it a little bit last year, where it felt like, they originally had this plan for Alejandro Kirk when Danny Jansen went down a couple times last year, but unfortunately, you know, they were pushing Kirk to play probably a little bit more than they were originally planning to. And of course, extra DH days, you know, you saw tons of that. So the fact that he's able to actually get rest, uh, I think is very important. You know, kudos to Tyler Heineman for that. So he's a veteran who's been around. And of course, this was the guy that the Jays traded for about not even a month ago, uh, just, I guess, in fear of this, because they were able to put him on the 40 man roster. So, you know, kudos to him for that. And I'm sure he's going to get many more opportunities, of course, uh, until Danny Jansen's going to be back. I mean, after the game today on Thursday, they announced that Jansen wasn't even going to make the trip to New York this weekend. So you have to imagine Heineman's going to get some uh, a start in New York at some point throughout the weekend, because again, there's a Day game follow or day game after a night game, uh, which goes from Friday to Saturday. So I'm sure you're going to see him at some point again uh, this series. And it's just it's it's just good to know that you have a third catcher that you can rely on, and just know that, of course, in terms of expectations and just knowing expectations for a third catcher, but just knowing that the team's in good hands, the pitching's good in terms of him behind the plate, everything works good uh, for the most part. And I think that's also very important. Kudos to Tyler Heidemann for that. Yeah, I think defense is the most important thing when it comes to a replacement catcher. Like, to be honest, I'm okay with a black hole in the ninth spot of the lineup. Like, if it comes at the cost of having a good defensive catcher, and by all first impressions, it seems like Tyler Einman is that. So, can't be happier than that. Um, on Denny Jansen, it looks like he is progressing well. Even though he's not traveling to New York, he'll be eligible to return from the injured list on Monday. Um and it looks like there's a chance that he could make it back by then. Apparently, he did some light jogging earlier today, and he's been hitting in the cage and throwing without issue as well, according to Hazel May. So hopefully that left groin strain is on its 
way back and it won't be an issue for much longer. But of course, that New York series, you will probably see Heineman in at least one of those games. Maybe it'll be Saturday, the day game after the night game. Um, and, you know, now that we've seen him and he's kind of proved his ability behind the plate, I don't think anyone should be nervous about what he's going to do that day. Um, before we move on to the next topic, I want to talk a little bit about Jay Birdie Baseball Co. Um, very exciting news. They're dropping some new merch. We've been speaking their praises for a couple weeks now, but next week they're going to be dropping some exciting new stuff. I don't know what it is, but I'm really excited. I can't wait to check it out. You can go find all their stuff at jbirdie.ca, um, and they have a goal of highlighting Canadian baseball history, and every piece of clothing they have, every hat, every sweater, every shirt, has a piece of Canadian history behind it. It's got a... a a really neat story behind it and they're a great company great quality stuff so i encourage you to check them out it's jbirdie.ca and they're dropping new stuff next week so check them out for sure all right so i guess we should have the alec manoa conversation uh i don't think this is a conversation either of us are looking forward to um i don't know you want to start it off like where do you want to i feel like we've already beaten this to a pulp but every episode it just gets worse and worse I mean, I'll I'll ask you a tough like how much more from you can you take until you know you're ready for the conversation of like how much more can can <laughs> we take of this? The is conversation what I'm of what? Finish that sentence. The Phantom IL <laughs> or the the Triple A, whatever it is. Like yeah. how much more can you take? I'm I mean, curious. I think we're already there. Like so that was we've kind had of, of yeah because the last yeah. conversation we had about him like. I think the Blue Jays and Alec Manoa are at a breaking point. Like, I think he's like, I think he's at his wits end because we saw a quote from him that was remarkably, I I guess, honest, like transparent. It seemed like, and we spoke about this before, like it seems like he kind of beats around the bush and maintains this kind of veneer of optimism and being encouraged by the results. And no, it's just bad luck. I don't need to change anything. I think finally this series we kind of got that sense of internal frustration with him. He said, quote, the mindset of don't throw a ball here instead of throw a strike right here. It's a difference maker. Right now, I'm stuck in don't throw a ball here. And I think that was a very illuminating quote for him. So I think we are at a breaking point. I thought we were at a breaking point after his last start. The Blue Jays had the off day. They should have skipped his start. They missed their chance. And now you're stuck in a string of what is basically two weeks straight. Of games until your next off day. June 12th. Yeah, they had their chance. They missed it. Now you're stuck in a situation where you're talking Phantom IL. You're talking send them down to AAA. Or, I mean, just ride it out and wait until June 12th. And I don't know. To me, that seems like the most likely scenario right now. Because the Jays haven't done anything yet. Uh, I really don't see his trip to AAA happening at all. Like, they, they went the entire season last year with Jose Barrios in the rotation and they did nothing. Uh, so I think that's probably the most likely scenario. I don't know if you're asking what they should do. They should have skipped a start. They missed that chance. You're stuck with him now. I think that's where I'm at with him. Yeah. Welcome back to another episode <laughs> where we, we just, it's the same yeah. problem again. I mean, nothing has changed. I mean, look, if you want to look at anything, he didn't give up as much runs as before, but that hasn't exactly been the main problem. It's the efficiency. 
and we saw it again. I mean, four innings, and then, of course, which trickled into today, what we already talked about, which is why Kevin Gosman went back out for another couple outs, everything like that. And, of course, Trevor Richards came in and pitched really well. He got two uh, two innings uh, of work after that, and he really helped the bullpen, I, I think, as well, after Manoa uh, left early. So, like, it's yeah, it's the same problem. He's still talking to the media and saying, yeah, I'm going to fight this, I'm going to fight that. And, of course, we all believe that he is and everything like that. It's just there's no results that are coming from it. And I mentioned last episode, like, I, I brought up the whole idea, like or the whole topic, which everyone knows about in terms of who's coming up and everything like that. I mean, the one guy I forgot to mention, um, and I was kind of more just focused on Ryu and just the lack of depth after him, I guess the one guy I forgot to mention was Mitch White. I mean, they had to restart his uh, rehab assignment. He's been in AAA Buffalo. For me, that was the only option, but then, I mean, I don't know if you saw Mark, but he pitched this afternoon uh, for Buffalo, and he was coming off a bad start prior, and it didn't get much better today. I mean, he only lasted an inning and a third, four hits, he allowed four earned runs, um, and this was all in 40 pitches, so... If you want to look at the closest reinforcement, I'm not saying the best option, the closest reinforcement to starting pitching or just any sort of pitching, it's it's Mitch White. Because, yeah. of course, they restarted the timer, but it's not much longer till he's going to be ready. Is it really worth it doing that? I don't know. Um, I don't think so, at least in my opinion. Um, if there's anybody else maybe in AAA that they're looking at that we haven't really discussed yet, I can't even tell you and, and predict it because I really have no idea in terms of who it could possibly be. So that's where we are. I mean, it feels like the idea that you brought last time about skipping a start because of where we are and everything like that and just the lack of depth, perhaps that's the most likely option. But you talked about it. I mean, we have so many weeks or a couple more weeks until that happens. Uh, he's going to get a start. It looks like he's going to start in the... It's gonna. I think it's gonna be at some point this weekend against the the Mets, and if not, it's gonna be next week against the Astros. Not exactly any easier um, from that, and that's gonna be at least one or two more starts before we get to that off day. So, I mean, that's two more starts of probably the same outcome. I don't know how much more we can take it, but it feels like at this point they have no choice but to, unless there's somebody again in AAA that we haven't discussed yet that might make a, you know, get a surprise promotion or whatever. Um, I mean, I don't see anything changing anytime soon because of all these, all of these reasons. But do I think that we're at a point where he, something should be done? Absolutely. I just, it goes back to the whole notion of what can they do? Their hands are tied. Mitch White isn't exactly pitching well on his rehab assignment. If he was pitching well on his rehab assignment, I would think that that scenario would probably be the most likely and it would probably happen sooner rather than later. But I mean, if you can't figure it out in your rehab assignment right now and you're getting lit up in AAA, I mean, what confidences are any sort of, you know, what confidence do you have sending Mitch White to the mound in place of Manoa for who knows, a starter or two? I mean, I just, for me, it's just a disaster. I mean, this this really, it, you know, as much as where the Jays are and everything like that, a major, I'm not blaming Alec Manoa for where they are completely, but it's just, it's a huge hit uh, in terms of what's been happening like that. We're talking about the bullpen getting into the game you know, earlier than anticipated, pretty much every start he's made, and it just kind of takes away that we've talked about on this ep- or on this podcast multiple times throughout the month. You know, it just takes away kind of that three-headed monster that you thought you had in the the starting rotation with Bassett, Gosman, and Manoa, and right now you don't have that. And of course, you have Jose Barrios pitching a lot better, but you're not you're not ready to you know call him top of the rotation, and nobody is. 
So that's the problem uh, that we're at. But I, for me, um, this past start, for me, that was it for me in terms of I've seen enough. It's just with so many limited options, it feels like it's just going to keep happening and happening and happening. And I get it. We saw the same thing with Barrios. The only difference, I guess, if you want to completely deep dive on it, is that Barrios was already paid uh, in terms of that the, the seven-year contract. He did get Manoa hasn't. You know, he's he's a lot younger. He has a lot less service time. So it, it is going to be, you know, the fact that there hasn't been anything yet, it is going to be when the time comes or if the time ever comes, whatever they do in terms of a corresponding move, if they ever decide to do something in terms of a phantom IL, I am going to be curious on how Manoa himself reacts to it. Because, of course, that's another conversation that's been happening. How is he going to react if you do something like this in terms of a phantom IL for the sake of it? You send him down for a little bit. That's going to be another question for me. It's just, it's a very, it's a very complicated situation they're in right now. And it's just, for me, it's a headache even talking about it because of the results that we're getting from it and just everything after that, that we're getting from it. So, I mean, if they're going to keep throwing them out there, the best that we can do, as much as it sounds dumb, is keep rooting for him and be optimistic that at some point he's going to break through it. But, I mean, when something's clearly broken and you keep doing the same thing, it's it's just a recipe for disaster at this point. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. That sums it up. Uh, like, I don't know. If we, if we believe the Blue Jays that the confidence is an issue... Like, this is something that... Okay, full disclosure, I don't believe the Blue Jays that the confidence is the issue. Like, it's it's something mechanical, they just can't say that. But, like, if it actually was confidence, you do open up a can of worms by sending him down to AAA. Because, like, that's the worst possible thing you could do to someone's confidence. So, it's like, I don't know. The Blue Jays are in a pickle, to say the least. There's no way, there's no easy way out of this. And, like... Yeah, I, I don't know. It seems like to me like they're settling into a Jose Barrios type situation from last year where it's just grimace every day he starts, hope the offense can do enough, and just hope the four days in between go as best as possible because you're not going to have the greatest shot to win on that fifth day. Uh, it seems like that's the case with Alec Minot right now. And yeah, you do bring up a good point. that is It, it is a different situation with the contract. And everything like the Blue Jays don't have 130 million dollars riding on Alec Manoa, but that doesn't change the other considerations that we just mentioned. So yeah, I guess the the one silver lining to all of this is not even Manoa. It's it's what you mentioned. It's Jose Brios that like he's kind of settled into this very reliable rhythm where you can trust him to go out and give you five, six, seven innings of two or three run ball, and that hopefully at least at the least is making up for what Alec Manoa is doing so I, th- I still think the Blue Jays are in a better situation than they were last year with their starting rotation because they have one guy who's not doing well instead of two guys who aren't doing well so I think you could take that as a bonus but yeah Manoa has been a mess uh just to leave this conversation on a positive note uh Jose Barrios's stat over his last five games five starts 31 innings pitched 2.3 ERA, 28 strikeouts, 12 walks, uh, four homers. Um, there is one start in there, his last start um, against Minnesota, where he did walk five and struck out five, so his walks aren't ideal. But, I mean, look, every start in his last five, the last five turns to the rotation have been three runs or less and five innings or more. That's golden. 
that's all you wanted out of Jose Brios entering this season. Uh, and then Yusei Kikuchi, I, yeah, month of May wasn't great. But that being said, it was still better than Alec Renault's month of May, which was the worst month of his career by the stats. So, anyways, here we are. Uh, okay, let's talk about someone in the bullpen. And this brings us to the sweet relief segment. This one, I think, is going to be easy for you, Bryson. Uh, the question that I have for you, because I couldn't come up with anything else. But uh, which Blue Jays reliever is in the 97th percentile of Ooh. fastball velocity? Uh, Nate Pearson. Yeah. I mean, it's easy. It's a gimme. We're getting closer, Mark. Getting I know, I know, I know. To that mark. Yeah. So, yeah, he's had 12 appearances. Um, he did make an, an appearance in this series against Milwaukee. It was phenomenal, and that's why I want to shine the spotlight on him. It was two innings pitched, zero earned runs, zero hits, zero walks, zero base runners, four strikeouts. He struck out the side at one point. Uh, I... I mean, he's been great. Like, there's no other... As much as I hate to admit it, as much as it pains me because my <laughs> prediction at the start of the season was wrong, he's been phenomenal. I, I mean, over the course of the season, 16 innings pitched, 1.69 ERA, 3.6 strikeout to walks, and 0.6 home runs per nine. Um, he deserves higher leverage. We've been talking about that for weeks. He's starting to get higher leverage. Um I really like the fact that he goes multiple innings. It's like having two Trevor Richards in there. And Trevor Richards has also been pitching great. So shout out to him, especially for saving the Blue Jays bullpen a little bit after Manoa uh, did not go deep. So I mean, Blue, bottom line, Blue Jays bullpen is in a really good spot right now. Uh, and I think it is partly thanks to some of these lesser guys. Like the Jays haven't had this depth before. They haven't had this type of success for a lot of guys before. Like you look at last season and... I don't know who you would highlight as kind of the, I, I guess, a circle of trust. It was Romano, Garcia, and you got Meza in there. He was great last season. Who else would have been in that circle last year? I mean, they traded for Anthony Bass and Zach Pop. Yeah, and Bass was I good mean, towards the end of the season, but he wasn't there for the whole yeah. year. Yeah, so that, that not really. Um, I mean, with Simber, I can't remember. Was Simber in there a little bit? He might have yes, been. Yes, yes. I'm forgetting about Yeah, he so yeah. other than that, though, yeah, it wasn't so, exact. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of what they had. And this year they've got basically the same crew. Maybe you take Garcia out of it and you probably take Bass out of it, and that's another can of worms we're not going to get into. Uh, but you can toss Nate Pearson in there and you can toss Swanson in there and you can toss Trevor Richards in there because he's been pitching really well. So I think the way the bullpen is going right now, you got to be really happy. I think Nate Pearson is a big part of that, but bottom line, 16 innings, 1.69 ERA. You cannot beat that, and he is our Sweet Relief Award winner for this episode. Yeah, I mean, like you were talking about it, not only is he now pitching later in games, he's coming out for multiple innings now. And like at the at the start of all this, when he was called up, going out for multiple innings, I don't even think that crossed my mind at the start. It was just get through multiple appearances healthy, show the fastball, which he did. You know, it was kind of a weird um, stat that they were mentioning in terms of, when he first came up, how I guess his velocity was around 95 at the beginning of his appearance, but then as it went on, it would tick up to 97, you know, the odd time tick up to 100. And then now he's coming out of the bullpen and it's starting at 97 miles per hour and it's going, you know, multiple times it's hitting 100. So 
for whatever reason it is, um, maybe it's just him being comfortable and everything like that, or, but you know, momentum I'm sure has something to do with it, but just as his time has progressed here in this bullpen, I mean, he's coming out with faster velocity than he did, I guess, the previous time. So that's really, I mean, that's amazing when you think about it like that. Just him with his fastball, you know, you showing me the percentile thing, that just brings a smile to my face. I mean, it's the one thing that we talked about for two years now in terms of what this bullpen needs, in terms of the velocity, the swing and miss. It was just a, it was a beaten down conversation every time last year, it felt like. And now... They have that with multiple guys, and the fact that you have a late inning guy before you get to you know the eighth or the ninth, I think that's even more important. And you have another guy who can throw a lot, who's on his way, uh, and throw very fast in that, with Chad Green. So we'll see what happens with that. But it's just they've added a lot of it to their bullpen this year. Um, when they're using the right people in the right situations, this bullpen is very good. And I think that's kind of a lesson that we've learned so far. And of course, Pearson has earned that opportunity. Um, and of course, there's people who have lost uh, that spot, I guess, on the same side of it. But that, I mean, that happens all the time. It's just him taking advantage of the opportunity like that, coming out for two innings. And it was Yusei Kikuchi, you know, going five innings. I mean, as much as, you know, we're expecting every pitcher to be very good, and you, you see the guys at the top of this rotation, we always have to remember that Yusei Kikuchi is a fifth starter, and the expectation should be lower. And fifth, five innings out of your, your five guy, that will never ever you know bug me in terms of just not pitching you know expecting more on anything like that I'm fine with that and the fact that he was able to come out and go two innings and strike out four and you know just his numbers are very good in terms of his ERA and everything like that that's awesome you mentioned Trevor Richards I think he gets an honorable mention because he did the exact same thing and helped preserve the bullpen as much as they could for Kevin Gosman today after he came in early for Alec Manoa so those are two guys I mean Either one of them, for me, is the Sweet Relief Award winner. Uh, but for Pearson, of course, he uh, uh, in terms of selecting him for the award winner, I'm glad he was uh, the winner for uh, throughout this series. I'm just happy that now we can, we're talking about him pitching multiple innings as well. So it feels like he's proven all that. Of course, you want to, you continue to want to see more and more before you are flat out completely sold. But I mean, when he is healthy and everything like that, he is pitching really good. He's comfortable in the role and uh, he is no doubt helping this team right now later in the games with this bullpen. And I think if I was speculating, like the health might be the reason why the velocity is kind of ticked up a little bit, right? Cause we were absolutely yeah. like a couple of years ago when we were all talking about his health, like there was, he didn't he like redo his rotation or something to, he, he fixed his mechanics. There was an overhaul. Yeah, mechanics, yeah. Yeah. To like limit injuries, but it came at the cost of velocity. So I think like maybe that's part of it where he had kind of settled into this rhythm of throwing a tiny bit lighter, but in a way that was, I guess, safer, you could call it. And maybe now that he's had a recent run of health, I mean, going back basically to the start of the season, he's been healthy all year. He's had that recent run. Maybe now he's getting more comfortable to tick it up and, you know, start throwing a little bit faster. And like you said, coming in at 98 and hitting 100, 101 quite regularly. Um, and I do think like, okay, knock on wood, I don't want to curse this, but if he got injured tomorrow, <laughs> if 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 he got injured tomorrow, I think this season is already a success. Do you agree? I think I think the fact that he's been able to prove it mm-hmm. on a major league roster, I think I think in that point, yeah, I do. Yeah, because this is the first time in his major league career that he's actually been effective in the majors and healthy in the majors. So I think, to me, if again, God forbid this happens, but if the season ended tomorrow. I think I would view this as a success because he proved he can at least get here and 
be effective and be somewhat healthy. Obviously, we'd be hugely disappointed and we'd be looking at next year with even more skepticism about his health, but at least we checked the one box that he can be effective because he hadn't proved the effectiveness up until this point in his career. So, um, yeah, shout out to him. He deserves all the love. Hopefully, he does not succumb to the uh, sweet relief curse, which seems to be a thing now because we shouted out Tim Meza in the last episode. He got it because he was phenomenal. He was like, I ranked like, what, 10th in baseball and reliever ERA. It was, it was phenomenal. His ERA was 0.96, I think, over his this season. And anyways, we shouted him out. We gave him the sweet relief. And then very next appearance, 0.2 innings, two earned runs allowed, three hits. Like, that's been happening every single reliever we... So anyways, hopefully it doesn't happen to Nate Pearson, but we'll see. Um, okay, yeah, I think that's it for a series in Milwaukee. Uh, three games against the New York Mets to update the series prediction standings. Uh, Bryson, you and I got it perfect. We both said the Blue Jays would take two to three, and we both said they would lose the middle game of the series. We get a four full four points. Jacob gets three p- points for saying two to three, but predicting the wrong game that they would lose. So, Bryson, you're still in the lead at 33 points. I'm in second at 30 points, and Jacob is in the dust right now. He's 11 points behind you at 22 points oh, on the oh. season. So he's got a lot of ground to make oh. up. Anyways, three games against the Mets. What are you thinking? This is, I mean, it's just very, it's a rare interleague series, of course. So I guess that's the cool part that you get to see the Mets. You don't usually see them. I mean, you have Chris Bassett going Friday against Justin Verlander. As much as Justin Verlander hasn't gotten off to the greatest start to the year, I just for me I'm haunted in terms of the no hitters that he's thrown against the Jays. It feels like he always pitches well against the Jays, but I'm going to take a little bit of a risk with this prediction because I just look at the projected starters throughout the weekend, and of course you have Barrios on Saturday, and then on Sunday it is Kikuchi. So Manoa starting against Houston, correcting what I said earlier. Anyways, uh, and then I think uh, McGill goes for the Mets on Saturday. Sunday Senga goes for the Mets. I'm a little concerned about that one. That's the one I'm concerned about the most. So I'll say they win Friday and Saturday, and I want Chris Bassett to win against his former team. So I'm going Friday, Saturday, they win. And then I'm scared of Senga on Sunday, and of course, Kikuchi goes Sunday. So if I'm going to choose a game they're going to lose, they're going to lose on Sunday. I was going to say the exact same thing. I was just calling Jacob, but uh, he's in Disney World, so I think his Canadian sim is probably turned off. I don't know. I want to make up ground, so I want to say something Great different. But it's like, like yeah, we th- we just look at the pictures. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, are you gonna keep I, it the same, or? But I need to make up ground somehow. I you're three points so you ahead of me, it. so I gotta. Yeah. Ah, geez, I don't know. But we just talked about how reliable Jose Barrios has been and how he's settling into exactly. this kind of reliable rhythm. Maybe. Okay, I'll, I. I, okay, I'll say they lose game one. <laughs> I think your your instinct about Verlander always pitching well against the Jays, uh, I'll subscribe to that theory. I say they lose game one. I, I do think they take two of three, so that means they win the Kikuchi game, which I'm a little nervous about. But yeah, I'll go two of three. They lose game one. Uh, just so I have the chance of making up some ground, maybe I'll lose some ground who knows but yeah two and one Mets Mets and Jays same record too so it should be fun that's the other thing the Mets haven't had a great start to the season what is um what's their last 10 looking like because that's what I'm curious about uh last 10 like what type of streak have they been on 
uh, uh, six, six and, and four. four. They've yeah. won three in a row, though. They've won so three they just, straight. Yeah, they just swept whoever they were playing, unless it was a four game series. Um, yeah, they're rolling right now. It looks like. Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes me a bit nervous, but whatever. <laughs> I already said two or three. Uh, so yeah, they win the Verlander game. The Mets win the Verlander game. Jays win everything else. Uh, we have nothing from Jacob. Again, I try to call him. He's in Disney World, so he's busy right now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll get a prediction and we will uh, include it in either the the show notes or we'll just write it down on our spreadsheet so we have it. Um, okay, yeah. New York City, Big Apple, and then the Jays open up a little bit of a homestand, a little bit longer of a homestand after this weird home-and-home three-game splits. Anyways, uh, as always, you can support our podcast. The link below this episode will take you to everything you need. That is our social media, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. That is our Bias Coffee page. and You can also join our Discord where we have a ton of our listeners, over 70 listeners who come and chat about baseball. Uh, you can also just give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, which always helps spread the word But what we're doing here. Uh, all right, the Big Apple, New York City, the Jays are taking on the Mets. We'll catch you after this series.